This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor will have to find a new chief of staff. Shane Strum will be leaving to take over as CEO of Broward Health starting next month. But don't bother the Gov just yet. He's still basking in the warmth of the Super Bowl. Ron DeSantis says Florida is home to two of the greatest of all time. The two greatest team sports achievements in the NFL history are the undefeated Dolphins and Tom Brady winning a seventh Super Bowl at the home stadium uh, at age 43. So not bad for the state of Florida. Unless, of course, the Super Bowl turns out to be a super spreader. At times, it appeared the only ones who really followed safety protocol were the masked dancers in the halftime show. Given the mortality rate of this disease, someone will die because of the super spreader events that were held in this state and really, you know, encouraged uh, in a lot of ways um, by state officials. First came the Holocaust survivors, now the Bay of Pigs veterans. The governor says survivors of that ill-fated invasion of Cuba in 1961 can now get their COVID vaccinations at home in Miami-Dade. As Cuba has suffered under the yoke of communism, uh, the veterans of the Bay of Pigs and many other Cuban exiles have lived here in South Florida in freedom, and they and their families have served as the backbone of this community in Miami for decades. State lawmakers will be taking up a bill in the upcoming session to outlaw abortions after the 20th week of pregnancy. Today, you'll hear from two women who say it was their only choice, and the legislature should butt out. Anti-abortion protesters shout louder, restrictive laws get passed, and we heartbroken mothers continue to lose our rights to do what's best for our families. There is an incredible amount of misinformation about abortion later in pregnancy. Abortions at this stage of pregnancy are incredibly rare, and almost without exception, due to a catastrophic diagnosis in a wanted pregnancy. Today on the Sunrise Soapbox, the co-leader of the Democrats in the Florida House has a theory as to why Republicans are serving up a heaping helping of red meat designed to trigger the libs. They were elated at increasing their numbers in the legislature and at the same time infuriated uh, that the president that they had grown to love and adore Uh, was not going to be back for a second term, that he was going to be a one-term president. So it set up this situation where you are going to have them feel extremely emboldened and simultaneously very, very angry. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man who says that 22 pounds of crystal meth in his carry-on must belong to someone else who has an identical backpack. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, February 9th. It was on this date in 1775 the British Parliament declared the Massachusetts colony was in rebellion. In 1950, Senator Joseph McCarthy claimed the State Department was infested with 205 communists. In 1964, the G.I. Joe character was created. Don't call them dolls or Barbie boys. They are action figures. That's what we told ourselves anyway. This is also National Pizza Day and National Toothache Day. The Florida Department of Health reported 127 additional fatalities and more than 5,700 new cases of COVID Monday. Our death toll has reached 28,288. The total number of infections is almost 1,784,000. That's about one out of every 12 Floridians. On the plus side, there are fewer new cases of the virus and fewer people in the hospital for COVID-19. The governor was in Miami Monday to talk about a new program to vaccinate seniors. But first, he wanted to brag on the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I would be remiss if I didn't, as a 
proud Floridian and a proud uh, native of the Tampa Bay area just to say that when you win a Super Bowl with a 43-year-old quarterback coming in who has a pretty doggone good career up to this point and you do it on your home stadium and you do it uh, against uh, the defending champion, it was really, really exciting last night. And uh, the, the defense, but there's all kind of great things, coaches, all that. But had Tom not decided, Tom Brady not decided to come to, to Tampa Bay, uh, they would not have been hosting the Lombardi Trophy. So my hat's off to them. And um, I think the two greatest team sports achievements in the NFL history are the undefeated Dolphins and Tom Brady winning a seventh Super Bowl at the home stadium uh, at age 43. So not bad for the state of Florida, especially you consider all four major sports had a Florida team in the final uh, game. We won the Stanley Cup, obviously the Super Bowl. NBA had the finals and then also Major League Baseball. So, so it's really, really good. If you checked out the crowds over the weekend, you also know there's a really good chance the Super Bowl will turn out to be a super spreader. Representative Evan Jenny of Dania Beach is one of the Democratic leaders in the House, and he believes there will be a price to pay for all those Super Bowl parties. Congratulations to the uh, Tampa Bay region on having Super Bowl champions. Uh, but at the same time, there were a series of super spreader events that took place throughout the entire region. Uh, I think people might think a little bit differently if they realize that uh, those events, um, you know, are probably there, there will be multiple deaths and it will be impossible to actually prove uh, where, uh, you know, those people got uh, COVID from. Uh, but I'm sure that someone will die because of the super spreader events that were held in the Tampa Bay region. Um, and one of the things is we, there's mixed messages coming out of the first floor in the governor's office. Um, you know, we're going to get shots in arms and we're going to be safe. Uh, but simultaneously, at the same time, uh, really kind of cheerleading, um, you know, and acting as cheerleaders uh, for these massive events uh, that are only going to cause the virus to spread more, uh, potentially and most likely infecting more people uh, and more likely than not, just given the mortality rate of this disease, uh, you know, someone will die because of the super spreader events that were held in this state and really, you know, encouraged uh, in a lot of ways um, by state officials. Um, you know, it is it is a serious problem. Uh, I do, like I said initially, I do agree. We do need to get um, everything we can uh, to get shots into people's arms. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, an individual that we have not really heard, uh, seen, uh, nor hide nor hair from uh, over the course of the last 10 months is Surgeon General Rifkes. Um, but if you remember when he was unceremoniously pulled out of that press conference uh, by the governor's press secretary, uh, then press secretary, he's gone through a couple since that point. Uh, but his then press secretary pulling him out, you remember the comment that that got him yanked out of there uh, and really put into the corner into timeout uh, where he has not been readily available to anyone in the media. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, not readily available to any legislator as well. Uh, but uh, Surgeon General Rifkes, I think, was a soothsayer at that time and said, we're going to be stuck in this until we have a vaccine and the vaccine rolls out. Uh, turns out Dr. Rifkes was correct. Uh, so I don't know why the governor would want to sideline him in the Department of Health in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, he ended up being right. And I think he deserves credit for being right on that point. Jenny said that shortly after the governor held a press conference at the Bay of Pigs Museum in Miami. It honors the 1,400 men of Brigade 2506 who tried to overthrow Fidel Castro by launching an invasion of the Bay of Pigs in 1961. 
It did not go well. But the survivors are icons in the Cuban community of South Florida, and DeSantis says these vets can now get their COVID shots in the comfort of their own homes. It also gave the governor a chance to continue the commie bashing that worked so well for the GOP last year and will come in handy during the next election. The fight against communism was, and still is, a noble cause. And when Cuba fell to communism in 1959, too few were willing to recognize what this meant, the destruction of a once proud island nation. Members of Brigade 2506, though, refused to stand idly by and allow their country to be imprisoned by a communist dictator. Now, the Bay of Pigs occurred nearly 60 years ago, The men who took a stand against communism have been vindicated by history. Just look at Cuba. It's an impoverished, backwards tyranny. And also you look around the Western Hemisphere, those countries that embraced Marxism, Leninism, have witnessed calamitous results. And we see that every day, particularly uh, in the socialist dictatorship of Venezuela. Meanwhile, as Cuba has suffered under the yoke of communism, Uh, The veterans of the Bay of Pigs and many other Cuban exiles have lived here in South Florida in freedom, and they and their families have served as the backbone of this community in Miami for decades. And just compare the success that we see down here in South Florida to the impoverishment and the disaster that we see in places like Cuba living under communism. The Bay of Pigs veterans are the second group of seniors offered vaccinations at home. The first were Holocaust survivors. The latest battle in the abortion war is about to begin in the Florida legislature. Charlo Valero is state policy and advocacy director for the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health. And she's taking aim at two bills that would ban abortions in Florida after the 20th week of pregnancy. Instead of addressing this pandemic, legislators who are not medical experts are interfering with our reproductive care against the recommendations of doctors and organizations like American Medical Association, continue to introduce and pass legislation that chips away at the ability to access, obtain, and afford abortion care in Florida. Senate Bill 744 and House Bill 351 is a cruel attempt to ban abortion in the state of Florida past 20 weeks. It's not always possible for a person to get an abortion as soon as they would like. Many things can stand in the way of early abortion care, including not knowing about it, not having access to services, inability to travel, sometimes travel out of state, the finances associated with it, structural and legal issues like statewide restrictive laws, no clinics near you, you're unable to get time off, you have no insurance that'll cover it. People who do not have the means, money, time, and sadly the know-how to navigate these systems are navigating a legislatively constructive obstacle course. Making the decision to terminate a pregnancy is an incredible difficult decision. And this is when these barriers are extremely cruel. At a time when we should be expanding access to care, our Florida legislature continues to put politics between doctors and patients. This bill will harm everyone, but its impact will be felt most acutely by communities of color, low-income people, immigrants, LGBTQ folks, and young folks who already face enough barriers and persistent health inequities. To truly support our communities, we need policies that improve and expand 
not limit, access to a full spectrum of reproductive health care, which includes access to abortion. Thing is, a lot of people don't realize just how rare late-term abortions really are. Dana Pierce says no one really wants one, but sometimes it's the only choice. Cameron had lethal skeletal dysplasia, the result of a random, rare genetic mutation that occurs during sperm development. It's lethal because babies with this condition cannot breathe outside the womb. Their rib cages are too small and leave no room for the lungs to expand. Cameron's femur was also broken and there was evidence of multiple other healed fractures. In short, Cameron was actively suffering and he faced additional continued suffering and death by suffocation if he managed to make it to term and survive delivery. I cannot really put into words the intensity of anguish and grief that my husband John and I felt in those moments and in the days and weeks that followed. I delivered Cameron's body on February 1st, 2019, and we, we were able to hold him and tell him that we loved him and say goodbye. I was able to access safe, compassionate care in the midst of a deeply grim situation. I was uniquely fortunate to be able to afford the cost of travel, missed work, lodging, and the fee for the abortion itself. The majority of women in my situation in this country would not have been so lucky. There is an incredible amount of misinformation about abortion later in pregnancy. Abortions at this stage of pregnancy are incredibly rare and almost without exception due to a catastrophic diagnosis in a wanted pregnancy. An abortion at 32 weeks involves humane euthanasia of the baby in utero, careful dilation of the cervix over two days, and then induction of labor with Pitocin with the goal of protecting the women, woman's, the mother's fertility and life. Bans and limits on abortion later in pregnancy add exponentially to the mother's grief and suffering. We should instead be making laws to ensure that women facing situations like mine are guaranteed safe, compassionate care and support. Pierce had to fly to Colorado because there are only three clinics in the country that perform these sort of late-term abortions. Hadley Tweedle didn't have to go that far, but she says it was still an ordeal that no one should have to endure. During an ultrasound at 17 and a half weeks pregnant, we learned the devastating news that our daughter was sick, fatally sick. Our sweet Grace was diagnosed with trisomy 21 and non-immune high drops. As a result, her body was filling with fluid and her organs were shutting down one by one. Her little legs had already stopped growing. Multiple specialists told me it was medically impossible for our daughter to survive longer than a few more weeks of pregnancy. Now I'm a Christian and I believe in miracles, but I also trust modern medicine. I could not stand the thought of my daughter suffering in the one place she should feel safest. My doctor told me waiting several weeks until she passed on her own increased my risk of infection, hemorrhaging, and other medical issues, including death. I did not want to take that risk. I still had the responsibility of being a mother to my son and a wife to my husband. Suddenly I was faced with the most horrific choice in my life, one that I didn't ask for nor wanted to make. I chose to end my wanted pregnancy. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, it did. My doctor told me that I was unable to end my pregnancy in my own state of Tennessee. I was told that the nearest place I could go was a clinic four and a half hours away in Atlanta, which would mean I'd have to walk through a sea of protesters to get the medical support I needed. 
I was overcome with shame when the doctor who delivered my son told me she couldn't perform the procedure. My own state legislators don't trust me, her mother, to make the best decisions for my daughter and family. I felt like a fugitive fleeing the state to have my taboo procedure done in a state that didn't see it that way. I had never given much thought to the anti-abortion or pro-choice stance until the laws put in place failed me, leaving me feeling alone, scared, and quite frankly, angry. After our loss, I shied away from the term abortion because there's such a negative stigma around that word. I remember many anti-abortion friends and family saying to me, but your situation's different. While that was comforting to hear at first, I now know that that thinking is the root of the problem. I am not different. The procedure I had is not different. If we continue to shy away from the term abortion, the perceptions will never change and the laws will never change. It's not always right or wrong, black or white. Some of us struggle every day in the gray, keeping our experiences under wraps for fear of shame and judgment. We choose not to stand up for our rights in an effort to protect our already broken hearts from even more pain. And so the cycle continues. Anti-abortion protesters shout louder, restrictive laws get passed, and we heartbroken mothers continue to lose our rights to do what's best for our families. Let's end the cycle. Let's break the stigma. Let's reshape the conversation around abortion. Tweedle and Pierce spoke during a press conference organized by the Planned Parenthood affiliates in Florida. During recent weeks, legislative committees have been imposing a one-minute time limit on people who want to testify for or against bills. And let's be honest, there are some stories that simply cannot be told in 60 seconds. Next up, a theory about why Republicans in the state legislature are serving up bills that could best be described as red meat for everyone who wants to own the libs. That bill to impose new limits on abortion is just one of many controversial proposals pushed by Republicans in the legislature this year. Other bills make it easier to punish protesters, would close the state pension fund, expand the private school voucher program, crack down on social media for deplatforming Donald Trump, and make it harder for unions to collect dues. So who let these dogs out? Representative Ken Jenny, the co-leader of the House Democrats, believes this is happening because his Republican colleagues are having trouble coping without Donald Trump and are looking for payback. I will never say I told you so, but I made a prediction um, right after the election that that this was going to be the case. I can tell you right now, those of you that have been in my office before, you know I keep a giant board with all the bills that are monitoring monitoring that look like they could be potentially become problematic. Uh, it looks like at this point my board is going to be as filled or more filled than any other year uh, that I've been in the House. Um, what I think is going on is, and, and this was my prediction early on right, and, and back in November, you were going to have a very agitated and angry, uh, especially uh, Florida House. Um, they won their elections. Kudos to them for doing so. Uh, you know, I disagree with some of the uh, uh, characterizations they made of certain individuals that were in this chamber and were trying to come to this chamber, but that's not what we're here. We're here to talk policy. Uh, but they were elated at increasing their numbers in the legislature and at the same time infuriated uh, that the president that they had grown to love and adore uh, was not going to be back for a second term, that he was going to be a one-term president. So it sat, set up this um, uh, situation where you are going to have them feel extremely emboldened on one hand by their increases uh, within the state legislature and simultaneously very, very angry um, about uh, President Trump uh, not winning re-election. So I think that's what you're seeing come to fruition right now, uh, a chamber that is simultaneously emboldened and furious 
uh, at the outcome of different elections. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's coming to unfortunately coming to fruition. Um, but we'll have to see, you know, as always, the Senate has always been the backstop uh, for bad ideas that come pouring out of the House. So uh, we'll have to see what that uh, how that how that plays itself out uh, over the course of the the uh, next couple of years. Um, you know, and one thing that does give me a, a great amount of concern is just the unadulterated fact that really since Dean Cannon uh, was the Speaker of the House back in 2010, uh, the House has really taken the Senate out behind the woodshed and beat them mercilessly uh, for the last 10 years when it comes to who gets whose way uh, in, in each individual legislative session. Uh, so I'm hoping that the Senate can, can for once, and you know, they, they, they went over a decade. Uh, so I'm hoping that they can really step up here uh, in the 2020s uh, and, 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 and take a stand for once. There's an old saying in politics, the House proposes, the Senate disposes. That's a nice way of saying the adults will keep the wild-eyed kids in line. But Jenny is right. That check and balance has vanished in Tallahassee. These days, the kids are so wild, they drag the adults along with them. One of the largest healthcare systems in the country has selected the governor's chief of staff as their new CEO. Shane Strum starts his new gig at Broward Health on March 8th. He has a three-year contract that pays him, oh, about five times what he's making now working for the governor. Strum says he wanted to return to Broward County, where he lived before working for DeSantis in Tallahassee. He's the former executive VP of Memorial Healthcare System, which is also in Broward. Time already for the calendar of events. Well, at 9 o'clock, a panel at the 1st District Court of Appeal will hear arguments in a constitutional fight about a 2019 law abolishing the Miami-Dade County Expressway Authority and replacing it with a new entity called the Greater Miami Expressway Authority. Members of the Florida Legislative Black Caucus are holding a news conference at 10 to announce legislative proposals to, quote, promote just policing and community safety. This is their alternative to the governor's bill to crack down on civil justice protesters. At noon, the House Education and Employment Committee receives presentations about the state's workforce system. The House State Affairs Committee will hear about flooding and sea level rise in Florida at noon. The USDA also updates its forecast for the citrus season at noon. At 2, the Senate Education Appropriations Sub will take up a bill requiring colleges and universities to conduct annual assessments of intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity at the institutions. At 3, the House Public Integrity and Elections Committee is receiving presentations about the 2020 elections. And at 6.30, Senator Annette Tadeo, Representative Geraldine Thompson, will join the ACLU and voting rights advocates to preview the 2021 legislative session and offer recommendations to ensure equitable voting access. And finally today, a Florida man busted with 22 pounds of crystal meth in his carry-on bag says that wasn't his backpack after all. 46-year-old Eli Brown was waiting to board a flight at Orlando International when a TSA agent made a random check and found 22 vacuum-sealed bags, each containing a pound of methamphetamine. Brown insisted the backpack wasn't actually his, that he must have grabbed someone else's bag that was identical to his after falling asleep in the terminal. He's charged with trafficking. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.